until Jesus said these words, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, he said, so you must love one another. And by this, all people will know who I am. And Charlie just so beautifully sang about that. And we are in this series, The New Rules for Love, Sex, Dating, and Staying in And uh, today's going to be just a little bit PG-13, so I want to give you a heads up about that. Um, that's If you're new with us today, that's different for us. And that's why the microphone's going nuts. So <laughs> uh, just let me know if you want me to do a handheld or anything. Um, Last week, Tim kicked off this series, and he talked about the myth of finding the right person. The myth of finding the right person. And uh, I think we're going to switch mics here. Talk about... So last week, Tim talked about uh, the new... Uh, the, the myth, the myth of finding the right person. So the myth of finding the right person is that if I find the right person, everything will be all right. Like I won't have any need for patience because they're not going to do anything. If I find the right person, they're not going to do anything to test my patience. And uh, I don't need to work on kindness in my own life because if I find the right person, they're never going to do anything that's going to challenge me in that area. And so last week, Tim talked about uh, this is a myth this myth of finding the right person. And Tim challenged us to think instead about being the right person. And I just got to tell you, I am so happy that Tim is now focused on being <laughs> the right person. It's just been an awesome week for us. <laughs> now, some of you left last week and you were like, my boyfriend really needs to hear this. I got to download this MP3 for my wife because she's not patient at all. She's not kind at all. But in that passage in 1 Corinthians, Paul says these words, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Now, in children's stories, it always ends with the... Um, Finding the right person and then living what? Happily ever after. That is childish thinking. That I'm going to find the right person and then live happily ever after. That is childish thinking. It's not about finding the right person and living happily ever after. It's about becoming the right person and then practicing what Charlie just sang about day in and day out, practicing day in and day out with the people in my orbit, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs, practicing this day in and day out. You know, we don't have a lot of examples of great marriages in our uh, culture as far as media goes. Do you want to know why? Do you, do, you know, do you know why that is? The reason there are not a lot of great examples of awesome marriages 
in Hollywood is because from the outside, an awesome marriage looks pretty boring. From the inside, it can be so amazing. But from the outside, it doesn't make for a great story. It looks kind of boring. There's not a lot of sleeping in different rooms or throwing things. There's not a lot of drama. Now, every relationship has conflict. Of course, every relationship has conflict and bumps. But a healthy marriage doesn't make for a great Hollywood story. And so as a result, what happens is we can subtly be trained into thinking that high drama relationships are what real love looks like. But in this series, we're looking at what the scriptures have to say about real love. And here's the challenge. In our culture, people often view people, other people, as a commodity. Do you know what a commodity is? A commodity is take me, use me, do whatever you want with me, and when you're done with me, trade me in, trade me up, or move on to something altogether different. That's a commodity. A commodity is something I use until I'm done using it, and then I'm going to trade it and sell it or move on to a different commodity. And often, we get so uh, nursed in thinking in, the ter in terms of commodities that we begin to treat one another that same way. But the scriptures teach something very different. In Philippians 2, we read, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others, not as a commodity, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but, but each of you to the interests of the others. In our culture every day, we hear these messages that say, take me, use me, do whatever you want to with me, then trade me in for another. But that is not the message of the scriptures when it comes to relationships. But as a result, we have a lot of men in men's bodies who are thinking like little boys when it comes to relationships. And we have a lot of women in women's bodies thinking like little girls when it comes to relationships. And so like Paul said, we're childish in our thinking when it comes to relationships. It's interesting because when we uh, look at what the scriptures has to say about relationships, particularly uh, what Jesus had to say, what Paul had to say, what Peter had to say about how to treat women, specifically, uh, but relationships in general, we kind of go, um, oh, that's challenging. Sometimes we think, oh, that's um, different than our culture. We think it's countercultural. But compared to the culture in which these words were spoken, It is just, it is like a showstopper when you look at the culture that these words were spoken into. So you might find yourself thinking today, gosh, Susie, that sounds a little old-fashioned. Sounds a little countercultural. Nobody thinks that way anymore. 
But did you know when these words were first introduced, they were way stronger than they are today? In the first century, when these ideas were introduced about relationships, about women, it was a culture where women actually were a commodity. They actually were a commodity. They weren't simply viewed and treated like a commodity sometimes. They were a commodity. So prostitution was legal and it was encouraged. Not only that, but basically in the Roman and in the Greek world, you owned slaves. And many times you owned female slaves. And if you owned a female slave, you could do whatever you wanted with her, including have her put to death including sell her if you're done with her. And nobody would come against you in that. That was normal in that culture. In the first century world, nobody wanted little girls. There was this just epidemic problem of little baby girls being born and thrown into a river or left on the side of the road to die. It was such a problem that nobody cared. The value of life was so incredibly low. Um, and men didn't want to have children in that day. In fact, prostitution was used kind of like birth control. Like just stop sleeping with your wife and sleep with prostitutes because you don't want any more children. And that was normal. There were actually two different times in, in the ancient Roman world, uh, two different occasions where bills went before the Roman Senate to mandate marriage because the upper-class men just gave up on marriage. Like, why bother? Why get married? My wife is a hassle. I don't want to have kids. I can sleep with as many women as I want. I can have as much sex as I want. Why would I burden myself with marriage? And then the thinking at that time was, when I get old, I will adopt an older man. I'll adopt a son, and I'll basically then give him my inheritance, and I'll go on to do whatever I'm going to do. There was just this epidemic mistreatment of women. They had no status. They had no voice. Even women in wealthy households at that time were just like a step above a slave. Women were a commodity. And into that world that we can't even imagine, Jesus speaks. And the Apostle Paul speaks. And Peter speaks. And what they have to say about relationships and about women specifically, we think, oh, yeah, this sounds like a good idea, or oh, maybe I've heard that before. But in that culture, it would have just been like a showstopper. It would have been staggering. And so in Christian communities, in these little ecclesias around the Mediterranean rim in that time, women would just flock to these little churches. Because in them, they were treated differently, complete, viewed completely differently than the rest of the culture. So Jesus, who got this all started, he came along and he said in John 13, a new command I give you. A new command. 
love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus was saying to his followers, I just want you to look around this room when you gather. You've got slaves. You've got free people. You've got men. You've got women. And when you get together, I want you to give equal love, equal concern, equal respect, equal honor to each person, regardless of who's a slave, who's free, who's male, who's female. Love one another, he said, as I have loved you. And he said, by this, the rest of the world will know that you're my follower because you have love for one another. And we just can't pass over that too quickly. By this, the rest of the world is going to know. By the fact that you give this kind of honor and esteem to people, regardless of their sex, regardless of their background, the fact that you would give that kind of honor and respect, regardless, is going to tell the world, oh, huh, something new is happening here. By this one thing, Jesus said, people will know that you're my follower, that you love one another. So do you know what that means for us? It means that every person that you come eyeball to eyeball with is made in the image of God. That's your coworker who rubs you wrong like sandpaper. It's the person in your neighborhood association who drives you nuts. It's your mother-in-law. It's your brother's brother. It's every person who you come into contact with. Your Savior died for them. And Jesus says, here's how I want you to treat them. I want you to love that person like I loved you. How has God loved us? Fully known, fully loved, no fear of rejection. How has he loved us? Fully, sacrificially, to the end, without self-interest. So Jesus has these powerful, powerful words, and then Paul comes along, and Peter comes along, and they contextualize them, and they say them again. Paul came along, and he said, husbands, love your wives like Jesus Christ loved the church. And somebody's probably like, um, okay, Paul, didn't, didn't Christ, like, die for the church? Yeah. Yeah, you got it. That's it. And I'm sure people back then would have been like, but you don't know my wife. And hey, Paul, you don't know our world. Because in our world, people are not givers, they're takers. Like might made right. 
And if you had the wealth and you had the power, you could do whatever you wanted. In that world, they would have said, we are takers. We are trying to be bigger and smarter and faster and stronger. And we take, we take as much as we want from whomever we want. And you're telling me, Paul, that this woman who you don't even know, I'm supposed to give myself like Jesus gave himself for the world? Paul's like, yeah, yeah, that is the mark of the new community. That is what it means to be a follower of Christ. And he says to all men and women in Romans 12, 9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor, honor, honor one another above yourselves. And when it comes to honor and when it comes to love, this is something we practice our way into. We don't promise our way into honor. We practice our way. We practice one decision at a time, one day at a time. We don't promise our way in. Lots of people think, once I get married, everything will change, and then I'll start being honorable. Once I get married, then I'll start showing Patience, kindness. A lot of times people think once I get married, everything will change. But the reality is, in many ways, nothing changes except maybe you got a ring on your finger. But the character, the habits, the patterns, they remain the same. We practice our way into following Jesus like this. We tend to think suddenly because I meet the right person, everything's going to be all right. And often it's a disaster because what drew us together is chemistry. And then over time, the chemistry starts to evaporate and we realize, like, that was a chemistry experiment. And that's kind of starting to blow up. And what it leaves us with is the habits that we've practiced over many, many, many years. Like people spend one year maybe planning a wedding, but they've spent a lifetime developing habits and patterns and ways of thinking about other people. So as we close, can I just offer a couple of countercultural practices around honor? And some of you, you know, you... Um, you're going to hear this and you're going to leave it, and that's okay. But I hope it will give you something to think about, to be challenged about, to maybe talk with whoever you came with today about. Some of you won't agree with me on these things, but let them be a challenge to you nonetheless. A um, couple of countercultural practices around honor. First of all, um, can we talk about the music that we entertain ourselves with for just a minute? I want to ask you specifically about the music you listen to, and I want to challenge you. If you have on your playlist any song that refers to a woman as a bitch or a whore, would you by the end of the day, before the sun sets tonight, delete that from your playlist 
forever. And here's why. Here's why this is so important. In every country where there has ever been slavery, where there has ever been a genocide, it began with people labeling other people in inhumane ways. So in Rwanda, before the genocide, you had the Hutu and the Tutsi, and the Hutu decided that the Tutsi were cockroaches. Subhuman. Not even real people. They're just cockroaches. We can stamp them out. 800,000 people died. Same thing in Nazi Germany. Jewish women were referred to as whores. Jewish people were called rats. They're not even human. They're just rats. So we can exterminate them. And what happens when we sort of allow over time language, we begin to give ourselves permission to treat people that way. And so before the sun sets tonight, if you have any music of that, would you just delete it? Would you just delete it? And I know I, there's a few of you in the room, you're like, I'm not going to have anything left to listen to. <laughs> That's okay, because Charlie has an awesome CD, and we'll give it to you in the, <laughs> in the back. <laughs> when it comes to honor, this is something that we practice. We don't just promise our way into this. Okay, second challenge around honoring is this. Can we talk about erotic imagery? A lot of times we call this porn. We have probably never, in my recollection, in the seven years we've been here at Platt Park, I don't think we've ever talked about porn in a message before. But can we talk about it for a minute? Um, really just erotic imagery. Here is the deal. Every time you sit down with images of naked people to entertain yourself with, you are in school. You're going to school. And do you know what this school teaches? This school teaches a few things. First of all, lesson number one in this school called porn, a real body is not good enough. Lesson number two, one body is not good enough. Lesson number three, my spouse's body is not good enough. And every time you sit down, entertain yourself with pictures of naked people, you are going to that school, and that school sets you up for extraordinary disappointment. And we tend to think, like, it doesn't hurt anybody. I'm all by myself. doesn't even involve anybody else. It doesn't hurt anybody. Do you know who it's hurting? It's hurting you. And for the longest time, Christians and Christian organizations or um, feminists would speak out against porn. And so often the culture would be like, ah, narrow-minded people. But do you know new research is coming out and it's not coming out from people who are Christ followers and it's not coming out from people who are feminists. It's coming out and do you know what the new research is actually saying? It's actually saying, you know who porn is hurting? It's hurting you. Basically, the new research is saying that pornography is essentially a drug. 
And do you know what the drug does? Here's what it does, and here's why it hurts you. It deadens over time, not initially, but over time, it deadens your desire for real sex with a real person. And that's why it hurts you. Over time, erotic imagery deadens your desire for real sex with real people. And so if you're not yet convinced, you can Google and read Time Magazine's recent article on porn. All about new research coming out around this. You spend enough time in this school, something actually changes chemically in the brain. And it has the power to, to destroy relationships. Because what it does is it leads you to believe, and this is for men and women, it leads you to believe that the other person is a commodity. And that their existence is there to bring you pleasure. And that is so opposite than God's dream for love and relationships. That is so polar opposite of God's dream for sex. And it deadens your desire for real sex with a real person over time. And then, even further, for those of you who are followers of God in the way of Jesus, every single person, even the person on the screen who's prostituted themselves in that way, every single person is a child of God. Every single person is to be honored. And when it comes to honor, I don't think I really have to even spell out what this looks like for us. Because just think for a minute in your mind about someone you idolize. Just imagine somebody, maybe it's a singer or an author or a world leader. Think of someone who, if you could meet them face to face, just you would be like, I would stand in any line to get to shake that person's hand. Can you think of someone? Now just imagine that person. And imagine you're at a social gathering with them. You go up to them. Do you know what you do? Almost by default, you defer. You defer. You say, no, 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 you have that chair. No, 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 you go first. No, no, I want to hear about you. Tell me about your story. You don't walk in and say, hey, so nice to meet you. Let me tell you all about me. You honor. And every single person, you could just imagine yourself in that scenario tomorrow at work, this afternoon with your family, the next time you go home, visit with relatives you haven't seen in a while, friends you hang out with. Just imagine, like, what an honor to meet you. See, we don't need to spell out how to do this. We know how to do this. And every week we gather, we gather in this practice of worship, and we gather around this practice of the Eucharist, the table, because we come to dine with the one who has shown us the way and how to love. And when we come to the table, we just come and we say, oh, like we just saying about God, your love is fierce. And there's just a huge umbrella of grace in this room for every single one of us on this journey. 
and we come to the table in confession under that huge umbrella of grace with that fierce love drawing us, and we come to the table and we consume, we receive the body and blood of Jesus, the one who showed us what love looks like. And then we can walk away and we can say, just like the Apostle Paul, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. See, it's a hard message in the sense of God doesn't invite us to follow him so that he can fulfill all our desires. He invites us to follow him and then die to our desires. That we are crucified with him. We die to our desires. And then he puts in us new desires. New desires for him. New desire to honor one another. And so as we come and we dine with Christ now in communion, we do so before the one who said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Because a new command I give you, love one another, and by this all will know. Let's pray together as we close. Lord Jesus, you have shown us the way. We pray you'd enable us to walk in it now. And we pray as we come to the table, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.